You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Something powerful about the word, guys. There's grace in that word. Amazing power in that word. You heard about that last week. I think Simo nailed it, didn't you? Is that right? Did you nail it last week? Yes, he did. But these guys were devoted, this, this early church. I kind of can't get past that bit. And, and, and things that took place because of their devotion, number one, they prayed together. I often have people say to me, you know, I'm praying for you. That's nice. But I'd rather you pray with me. There's more power when you pray with me. Because if two of you agree on earth is touching anything, it's done by God in heaven. And see, this prayer together reminds them, listen, it's not just putting a list up to God, do, 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 do. Prayer is an intimate connection with heaven. And they knew this. It's a place of communication with God. I don't know what you do in your prayer time, but if I'm ever in a prayer meeting with you and you pray for 10, 20, 30 minutes straight, I'm going out for a coffee in the middle of it. And I'll tell you why. Prayer is not your wish list to God. Prayer is communication with God. They learned how to hear God when they were praying. Important. Secondly, they learned how to be a fellowship together. Or they were the fellowship together. And this, this highlighted their common life as a community for the kingdom of God. It, it also shows their depth of commitment to each other. Or something that's desperately missing today. The one thing that will take us out of the realm of just being an organized society or a club is the commitment of love that Jesus said, they will know that you're actually my disciples when they see how you love each other. Totally different than just attending a service. They fellowship together. They had this commitment to each other and their partnership in the gospel. The word fellowship means partnership. But the third thing was that they grew in the word together. People have this idea, I don't need anybody else. I can get all I need. All I need to do is study. I beg to differ. Not every one of us has the same kind of revelation and teaching ability as as everybody else. I need you. You need me. We need each other in the Word. It shows a, a constant focus. Now, get this. By getting into the Word, their constant focus was this. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. You know what that says? They were committed, they were, they were passionate, they were devoted to growing and making disciples. The one commandment or commission that Jesus gave, go and make disciples. And as they got in the word, it's not, it's not just about what I get out of it, but it's also what God does through me with it. Got it? And so as they received more and more revelation about Christ in the Word, the more they got hungry. That's the beautiful thing about this. The more you eat, the more you want. I don't know about you. I love M&Ms. Joy knows that. She buys them for me at times just so she keeps me plump. Um, I can't can't stop eating them. It's like the more I eat, the more I want. I'll eat them until I almost get sick on them. That's a bad thing, isn't it? No. (laughs) I lie. Anyway. But the Word of God, it's, 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 it's bread and it's so fresh and, and the more you eat, the more you want. Try it. Try it. And I don't know about you, but when you eat, don't make it fast food. Don't rush through. Don't eat on the run. So many people eat on the run today. You see people driving down the road eating a Big Mac. 
Don't eat on the run. Sit down, meditate, let it get into your soul. Man, it'll, it'll make you hungry. It's incredible. They grew in the Word together. But there's, there's one more that's kind of in here that gets overlooked. A, a casual glance at Scripture misses this aspect of health that was in this early church that, that solidified them, it strengthened them, it grew them both individually and together, and it's called breaking bread. That sounds very traditional, doesn't it? It's only traditional if you make it routine. I mean, to me, there's nothing... You ever walk in a place where they're baking fresh bread and you eat it while it's hot? Oh, my goodness. Talk about eat till you throw up. It's just the smell, the aroma. And if you casually glance at the Scriptures, you're going to miss this. You know, the Bible says that they met daily in the temple. That's the large worship gathering. But don't miss this. They also met daily in their homes. The breaking of bread is not the issue of they were having communion. Yeah, they attached the Lord's Supper at the end of something, usually after they had a meal and they grew in the Word and they prayed, they would attach the Lord's Supper. But this isn't about some kind of traditional thing. This is about the place where everything took place. The home. The home. They they, they didn't just meet in the large setting, they met in the small settings and and, and they connected around a meal, but all of a sudden at the end of that meal, they've been praying together, they got in the Word together, and all of a sudden they take bread and they break it and the aroma says, he said, every time you do this, remember me. It kept them on the centrality of the cross. The cross is the hinge of history. The cross is the redempting, redemption place buying back everything that mankind threw away and lost. The cross is the place where Jesus laid his life down on an altar. He was not executed. He willingly gave his life up. He said, you can't take my life, I give it up. The cross and so as they sit in their homes and they, you know, people are gathering and you, you, you might not have a right picture of a Middle Eastern home, but it is not like today. You walk into some of these new apartments today and you walk into the lounge and you can touch each wall. And they want a million dollars for that. And I'm going, Lord have mercy. You go to the Middle East and, and it, their houses are often squares and they're, they're, they're just built and, and you'll see Rio sticking out the top. And you go, they didn't finish. And they say, well, we don't finish it. Because the next generation builds on top and keeps growing. But they not only keep growing the home, they have courtyards in there where multitudes of people can meet. You know that 120 people met in a home to pray. Some home. Bet that was worth a million. But here's the deal. In these homes, they get together and all of a sudden, they come to this point in the night or the day. They're, they're, they're looking at the Word, the, the apostles' teaching. They're praying together. They're talking to God. They're listening. They're encountering His presence. And all of a sudden, they stop. They break the bread. The aroma goes through the room and they go, oh, the cross, the cross. Everything comes back to that point in history. Everything doesn't go back to the day He was born. It goes back to the day He was crucified. Bang! History was changed. And they stop. And you know what would take place? They'd just go, we remember. We remember the cross. Horrendous day. We remember the site. It, it, it was rated R. We wouldn't let our children look. We remember the screams of the thieves. We remember the sky turning black. The earth shook. 
We remember. But more than that, we remember our sins were paid for. Hell was defeated. God was triumphant. It's finished. It's finished. Everything that was done by man that offended God is now undone and finished. The cross. And you know what was happening as they're doing this? Probably their neighbors dropped in for the meal. They watched this infant church in action. Watch how they loved each other. How hungry they were for these things about Jesus from Nazareth. How their lives had been transformed. Something was in the atmosphere in their home. And all of a sudden, the cross. So they stop and they say, you know, there's a story. It's called Good News. That God loved you so much, he sent his one and only son. Son came from heaven, became a man. Gave his life willingly on the cross. Nobody took it. He gave it. Why did he have to do that? You can imagine their neighbors going, but why? Why wasn't there another way? Because the payment for sin is blood. It's death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no cleansing. And the the blood of the lambs and the turtle doves and the offerings you take every day is temporary. There needs to be a once and for all cleansing. And it had to be a lamb sent by God. John looked at Jesus the first day and saw him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. They're reminding. We remember. Their neighbors are sitting there listening. So who was this guy? He was the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the offering to God for our sins who died on a cross. Later, Paul would write, This gospel in which you took your stand and were saved is this, that Jesus died for your sins according to the Scriptures. Who was he? The Son of God took your place. For the wages of our sin is death. There's death all over this planet. Everything dies that comes into existence on this planet until it comes under the cross. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And they're hearing this and they're going, "So, so he wasn't just a religious fanatic. No. He he wasn't a lunatic, absolutely not. He was the Lord of all creation who willingly came and gave his life because only he could present a perfect offering for our sin, the cross. But guess what? You believe that he died for your sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and you also believe that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel on which you believed and you were saved. You go, that's just, it's, it's, it's out there, it's crazy, it's, it's lunacy, it's too easy. Might look easy from your perspective, but the tension between the cross and heaven that day was more than easy. Anything but easy. The earth shook. Why do you think the earth shook violently? The heavens grew black. Why do you think the heavens grew black? And the Lord of all creation cries with his last breath. It's finished. Done. I just have this false notion that uh, the devil threw a party at that moment, that he thought he had won. Until I kept reading, it was at the cross, Colossians chapter 1, at the cross, Jesus made a public spectacle of principalities and powers. 
He didn't have to wait to the resurrection. Boom, at the cross, he defeated him. And it's this message that they camped on in their homes. And you know what happens? The Lord adds to their number daily. Where do you think those people came from? Neighbors, friends, relatives who are hearing, believing, transformed. Uh, Was it two weeks ago here? Just right in the middle of the sermon. Sharia had brought a friend. Right in the middle, we gave that simple kind of story. It is simple. It's so simple a child can believe it if they'll just trust. Thank God for that. And uh, Cherie's friend gave her heart to the Lord. So why don't we just stop right now. Close your eyes. Bow your head. Probably the best moment right now to just say, why not, why not now? Why not you? If you've never done this, if you've never truly trusted I'm not talking about just believing that Jesus existed and that Jesus did something significant. I'm talking about trusting your whole eternity on what he did at the cross for you and who he was. Not only was he a sacrifice for our sins, but he was a son of God that could cleanse us from our sins. And if you've never done that, why not now? Why not you? Why not pray something like this? Father God, I I all of a sudden know and I see how much it cost you to send your son. Jesus, you paid with your very life for my sins, for the sins of the world. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I know when you died on that cross, you died for me. Forgive me, come into my life and save me. Make me a child of God because I truly believe in you. Father, I thank you now that I am saved in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's what he did and you trusting, but it's still you asking and receiving. And if you did that, if there's somebody here today that did that, like two weeks ago, just give me a wave real quick. I just want to congratulate you and say, this is awesome. And yep, good for you again. We'll connect with you after. I know you did that uh, a couple of weeks ago too, a few weeks ago, and that's awesome. Anybody else here this morning say, yeah, I did that. I prayed that prayer. I want to make sure uh, that I know. Because in this period where we're praying and fasting, listen, people are coming to Christ, which is awesome. And we expect this everywhere we go, whatever we do, in our homes, but in our meetings also. Let's, let's move on just for a minute. You know, the area of health I want to focus in on in these last few minutes, the main place where their new life was lived together, where they would grow, wasn't limited to Sunday. Matter of fact, Sunday to them wasn't the same as what Sunday is to us. You know that, don't you? Sunday was their first work day. It's interesting when you go and minister in the Middle East and you've got the two cultures, the Islam, Islamic culture and the Jewish culture. Well, they go to work on Sunday, which is interesting. You're, you're ready to have a service and they go to work. So how in the world do you get these new born-again people into a service? The answer is you don't. Not on Sunday. They're working. You find another way, which is exactly what they did in the book of Acts. They found another way. So where did it take place? Let's go back to verse 42 for a minute. 
They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Happens in the home. And you drop down to verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day they continued. In the prayer meeting the other morning, it's like the Holy Spirit made that word jump out at me. They continued. They continued. They continued. Now I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But right now, I want to talk about this place where church happened. Okay? Um, They didn't have big buildings. You know, some people get a bit worried that we don't own an auditorium. No big deal. The church wasn't born in an auditorium. The church thrived without auditoriums. Um, And it doesn't mean you can't have one, shouldn't have one. What it means is you're not identified by one. Anyway, I don't want to get off on that today. Let's just... And by the way, this is not a move today to turn everything into little house churches. Just put that up front. Uh, However... When you talk about this place where they met, first and foremost, it was a place of priority. Let me just go there. Because as Westerners who think scientifically and structurally and systematically, we immediately want a formula. We want a definition. We want a plan, a system. For them, it was more than a structure or a system. Their earnest devotion took place first and foremost in their heart. Oh, gosh. Just, all right, I'll leave it to the Holy Spirit for revelation. Just, I could, anyway. Praying together, getting in the Word together, experiencing His presence together didn't take place because the church went, oh my goodness, we got 3,000 people, we better get organized. Quick, rent a hole. Firstly, it was illegal for Christians to rent any hall. Secondly, it was illegal for them to own any hall. Thirdly, the church grew rapidly without a hall. I'm just saying. It's a sad day when all of a sudden we've got to come up with some new structure or system to get your interest to be involved. I'm just saying. These guys devoted themselves, heart, they were passionate about Christ and their love for one another and their commission to make disciples. We got one commission only and we're going to do this together. And I wonder if people today treat these things as options or choices because they see them as a, oh, that's a program, but not really interested in that program. I'm interested in that program. Lord have mercy, spare us. This was the very heart of the church. For the first Christians, it was a priority because it was in their heart, it was in their soul, and and, and it needs to become a passion in our hearts again, people. We're losing something. The fireplace is growing dim. Sorry, I'll settle. My watch is telling me to breathe. We need to be devoted to these things that bring health and strength and life. Once a fortnight... Once every three weeks, not much of a life. Place of priority. The text also talks about it as the most common place. I'm taking the quietness as the Holy Spirit talking to people. Because you sure ain't talking to me. Anyway, the most common place is they didn't neglect the large place of worship. You notice every day they went to the temple until they got kicked out. And until the temple got leveled by the Romans. And it was illegal for Christians to show up to the temple. 
they naturally met in their homes. And this is where they'd pray, they would grow, they would worship, they would know Christ and make Christ known. And some of you are getting uncomfortable because you think I'm talking about, let's go back to having single house churches. Make no mistake, this is not the single church in a home like house churches today that exist for protection. <gasps> let's gather us four and no more and, and love each other and protect each other. That works until number three falls out with number two. Listen, in the book of Acts, you know what you see? You see a network of churches in their homes. Or you see a network of homes that make up the church of the city. How in the world did they get up to 5,000 people within about two or three years and feed them so strong that, that within about the next 30 years, when Titus leveled Jerusalem, there was at least 150,000 Christians in that city? what they didn't rent a bunch of auditoriums to get it anyway I'm not going there again the most common place they did it where it was natural let's do it in our homes I'm just kind of beating a drum here and, and, and it also speaks of a diligent place listen to me even after years had passed by they were still in the habit of getting together like this not just on a Sunday they were still in this habit. Let, let, let's go to verse 46 again, just for a second. Every day they continued to meet together. Continued, continued. Now, sometime later, this is, this is possibly three years later, you jump to chapter 5. I don't know if you're looking at your Bible or you're looking at it on the screen, but about three years later, it's only less than three chapters later, but three years later, what, is, what does he write? Luke writes and says, and same language, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. There's your life. There's your reaching a city. There's your, there's your influence of a city. You get, you get about th almost three decades later, almost three decades later, and the writer of Hebrews addresses the church again because they weren't quite as diligent. You know what he said? Let us not give up meeting together. Pause. Being a pastor, I've always read that as, come to church! Should be there on Sunday! Look at this verse! Take notice that Sunday's not mentioned. Hmm. Where did they stop being diligent in meeting every day? In their homes. Oh, I know, I know. You're going, oh, you're going, oh, Keith, that's unrealistic. All right. Just think about the heart of it. Don't think of an argument, why not? Why don't you say, why don't I? Why don't I want to do this? He's saying, this is the place where you encourage one another. Don't give it up. And when you go to their diligence... You know what you see? You see, making disciples was their regular practice. Without a doubt. In spite of opposition. You know, I didn't tell you about the context of chapter 5, but the, the, the apostles had been taken in before the council and beaten, threatened. Don't talk about this man Jesus again. I mean, they're now at the point of persecution that's violent. When's the last time you got beaten up for telling somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you got threatened by the authorities for holding a study in your home? When's the last time 
you know, you were persecuted because you told people about Jesus. Our biggest problem in Australia is not persecution. Our biggest problem is apathy. I won't go any further. If you drop down to verse 42, it says it's day after day. This is three years later, back to Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching. I like the fact that Luke uses the word teaching and proclaiming. Two different things. You know what he's saying here? Teaching is what you need to grow. He links it back to the apostles' teaching. If you're going to grow, you need to be taught in who Jesus is, what he did, what he's like, so you can be like him. This is where we get fed. But I'm glad he didn't stay there and just talk about getting fed because you just get Christians who gorge, never do anything. He says, they met day after day teaching and proclaiming the good news. In the background, in the original language, this is the word for, they just kept telling the evangelistic story, the good news about Jesus. You see what's happening here? Christians are growing. Pre-believers are getting drawn and believing. Both are happening. Where? In their homes. How often? Every day. So the Lord added to the church, say it, daily. Let's say it again with conviction. The Lord added to the church, those who are being saved. Here's the deal. In our vision, we said, very clearly, it's time for growth. Right? Yeah. Like Jamie said, it's also time to pray. I'm going to say another thing. It's time to be honest. Gee, you're quiet. I'll be preaching at Northwest next week. It's time to be honest. And the honesty is this. We need revival in our hearts again. Lest our vision just become a strategy and a structure and a program. Yeah, better do it. Keith's a little bit upset at us. We better go sign up for a group in a home. Forget it. Forget it. I believe the Holy Spirit really wanted to challenge us today about revival in our hearts. Yeah, I know it gets long and we get tired and things get in the way. I know that. But how hungry are we for this? Really? Really, let's be honest. Because we need to see that gathering in groups is not an optional extra, but something that is so necessary for our growth, for the growth of others and the growth of the church. We are not going to grow just by attending on a Sunday or every other Sunday. What we're going to do is occasionally hear a message that we went, hmm. Some of you go, hmm, because you liked it. And some of you go, hmm, because you got angry at me. But you go, hmm. And this is not about a program or a strategy. Are we strategizing? Yes. Are we putting things into place so that it can happen? Yes. But a strategy to the church is like a skeleton to your body. It doesn't, it doesn't bring life. It just holds up the life that's there if it's there. It's the breath. It's the life of the soul, the spirit that brings life. And if your spirit is not thirsting and hungry, then you need revival. I'm sorry. We need revival. And, and, and it's, it's, it's about a devotion and a hunger for Him and sharing that together where we feast on the Word and we pray together. You know, we can pray in a service, but I'm telling you now what's going to stop things in the government is not a two-minute prayer in a service, but a people who are devoted to a season of prayer shifting this nation. 
We're not gonna be the strong believers so that if and when persecution comes, we stay steady and remain the course because His Word is alive in us because we hear an occasional sermon or a podcast. It's because we feast on the Word. Hmm. Best place to do that, to bring our pre-believing friends to watch this in action. They'll think you're crazy at first. But listen, it's God's, jo- it's God's job to draw them, not yours. Lest the Father who sent me draw them, Jesus said. They can't be saved. So you just, all right, Father, I'm going to trust you drawing them, and I'll invite them occasionally. You'd be surprised who shows up. And all of a sudden, they watched the church in action, loving each other, caring for each other, encountering God together growing in the word and all of a sudden something starts happening inside their soul it's called hunger the spirit person inside of them is starting to come alive and you know it's time for revival in this our connect group leaders have been faithful for years and we thank god for them but i think they all would agree it's time for revival It's time for a remaking of our groups to ensure that we are strong, healthy, and growing together. We would all agree with that. It is time for revival. It's time for revival in our church where people are devoted and diligent in gathering together uh, as, as a community. It's time. It's time to live this out. It's time for us to go. This is no longer an optional extra. This is something I'm passionate about. I'm devoted to. I'm ready for this. It's time. Come on, let's stand to our feet. I just, I just believe that's the word. It's time. It's time. It is time for the fire of God to come like never before in our hearts and lives. How in the world can we claim to be people of the Holy Spirit without fire? The characteristic of the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is fire. You know, when he first came on the day of Pentecost to the church, it was a violent day. It was not some passive little... It was a violent day. There was violent wind. There was fire. Stuff that could destroy built the church. In the natural, it could destroy wind and fire. We saw that this week. But in the spiritual, it gave birth. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you'd come and blow across this auditorium, not only with your wind, but with a fire. There are too many embers that are sitting just as embers and not a roaring fire. God, this is not about presenting a new program in the church, even though things are shifting. God, this is about you coming and moving and causing hunger and thirst and and, and God, just a passion for you and your house and your word and praying together. So Holy Ghost, I pray you come. You come and blow with your wind on this fire again that it needs to roar. We need a blaze in our hearts and minds again. Too many have gone cold. Too many have gone cold. Embers are dying. Colds are just about out. Holy Spirit, come and blow. Come and blow. Come and blow. Come and bring that violent, rushing, mighty wind. Holy Ghost, come. Holy Ghost, come. Holy Ghost, come. didn't uh, plan on ending this way believe it or not but I can't just walk away from this if this were the last sermon I'd preach here 
for some reason or another. I'd want it to be something of a deposit of fire from the Holy Spirit. That our hearts beat and ache for God to do something fresh in you. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.